everyone who's been going to multiple sessions today and investing your energy and in, in supercharging your mindset. And, and welcome to this closing keynote from wherever you are in the world. Really just grateful and excited for you to be here. I think this is going to be a really powerful conversation, a really valuable conversation to really get you thinking in that new, new uh, entrepreneurial way. That's really the name of the game as we proceed here in the 21st century. So Taylor Pearson is the author of The End of Jobs. And I got that right here. If I can show it through my background. Um, everyone, go go get that book. You can find it on the top books page on fearhackers.com. I ordered that book right now. And he wrote that some seven years ago or so. And it's more relevant than ever. And we're going to dive into that. But it's really an invitation for you to start shifting from just a standard 20th century employee mindset to moving into the entrepreneurial mindset. And so, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's Taylor's uh, most relevant contribution to this, to this particular event. And he's also doing a whole lot bunch of stuff in as an entrepreneur himself. And he's working with investors. He's, he's been featured in BBC and Forbes financial times, a whole lot going on. Um, TaylorPearson.me is his website. Check it out. So uh, welcome Taylor to Supercharger Career. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. So, the end of jobs. Some you know, seven years later. How's how are you seeing the economy and, and the trajectory of the way we do work? Because you were sort of one of one of the sections and main chunks of the book was kind of, kind of outlining where we're headed in a more economical uh, landscape sense and shifting into this more of this creative economy and this more independent autonomous economy. And I'm curious. How are you seeing uh, in the in the years that have come have gone on since the, you released the book? How have you seen that trajectory played out, and what do you anticipate in the coming years in terms of the the overall landscape and what it means to show up to work, what it means to to create a living? So, what are you, where are you seeing things headed? Yeah, I think um, there's a, circa 2015 when the book came out, like the gig economy was sort of like a big term, right? That there was this idea of, um, you know, I think uh, Uber was around, and you sort of started to see these sort of like these like gig type things. And I think now you sort of called it, I think the creative economy or the creator economy, like that sort of term has started to surface. And I think I, I, I obviously didn't use that term, but that was kind of the idea with the book. It's not just, this is going to affect sort of like um, taxi drivers or uh, pizza delivery people or whatever, but the sort of impact of technology and the internet in particular is going to be much more broad. And so I think when people talk about the creator economy, um, that's really sort of the idea, right? You basically have, this old economic structure, people worked in sort of big corporations for long periods of times. And that was how you could kind of create economic value. And that's sort of fragmented, right? You have more of this sort of freelancer, creator, uh, gig, you know, we all have all these separate terms, but um, all kind of implying basically uh, sort of more entrepreneurial career path, right? You're not in one role in one company for some long period of time. You're sort of having to take more sort of personal responsibility for your career, which has, you know, benefits and challenges. So that, that's kind of how I've seen it develop. Yeah. And of course, with the last couple of years, of more and more remote work, and there's just more and more of that uh, opportunity for, for creating multiple streams of income, contract work, and, and, and seeing yourself more as, as me incorporated. And I believe it's, it's a real opportunity for people to, to lean into that and actually say that's 
a more effective and more secure mindset. Um, you know, you talk about how entrepreneurship in, in the book, you talk about how entrepreneurship is actually safer than ever. And almost at first glance, that that idea seems jarring or like backwards, like entrepreneurship safe. It's, that's supposed to be, we, we usually associate that with risk. And I'd love for you to flesh that out, how viewing yourself in that more entrepreneurial way, even if you're not necessarily starting a business per se, but you're just viewing yourself as me incorporated and you're seeing these different lanes of bringing in uh, income in different ways. And how do you see that as actually less risky? Yeah, I think that's probably like the central claim of the book, or that's the one that's sort of like stuck around the most. I think that's a good one to hone in on. Um, I, kinda, I tell the story in a book. This was from uh, another author named Nassim Taleb. He had a, a story of the the turkey leading up to Thanksgiving, right? So, you know, if a tur- you know, a turkey's imagining sort of how their life is going, you know, they're born and they're in the uh, the farmer's pen and they get fed this food every day, and the farmer comes out and gives them. Uh, more food and, and every day seems to be just getting better and better. You know, they walk around the yard and, you know, whatever, peck at grubs and eat their food and hang out. Um, and everything is very, you know, it's safe. It's low volatility. There's nothing happening. Uh, and then, you know, the day before Thanksgiving comes and, uh, you know, the turkey is in a bad place. It's fat and it doesn't know how to get out of the pen and it's stuck. And um, you know, that, that's the end of the turkey. Uh, and you, you know, you kind of go with the wild turkey, right? Where, Life's a lot harder for the wild turkey off the bat, right? The food doesn't just show up for them. They have to go out and find the food. Um, you know, they're, they have to survive. You know, they have, they're not just sort of like getting the steady guaranteed thing. Um, but that forces them to develop skills, right? Forces them to develop, need to learn, um, you know, where to go foraging and, uh, you know, what the right things to do are and all, all that kind of stuff. And so I think that's, that's kind of a reasonable analogy that a lot of people, um, you know, one of, uh, one of the people that read the book that I spoke with afterwards had been an employee at IBM, I think for 25 or 30 years. If you remember, one time IBM had a, a full employee or a lifetime employment guarantee, basically. They said, after we hire you, we're just going to employ you forever. And they did that for a long time, I don't know, 30, 40 years or something like that. Um, but one day they just said like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. And they laid a bunch of people off. And um, he it was kind of a wake up. I think he was in his 50s at the time. Um, and he was real, like, you know, his, his whole career, he'd learned, he knew how to work the corporate bureaucracy at IBM and he knew the department structure. He knew all this stuff that was valuable when you worked at IBM, but wasn't particularly useful anywhere else in the workforce. Um, and so, you know, in a way, you know, he'd had a good ride up to there, but is it, that's a really tough spot to be in, right? You know, that, that's sort of like the turkey that everything looks great. Doesn't mean everything's challenging, and so I think um, you know, sort of part of the idea of the book and and the way I think about it is like by developing these more sort of entrepreneurial skills earlier, um, or you know wherever you are in your career, you're you're actually de-risking a lot of things, right? You're making yourself more robust uh, or more resilient to unforeseen changes, things happening, um, that kind of stuff. So it's I think it's you 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 incur sort of more low to moderate volatility, if you will, right? You have things that go wrong. You lose a client. That's tough. Those sorts of things happen. Um, but you're you're actively exposed to sort of the market and what's going on. You have to adapt more quickly. And you know, like the turkey, you have to develop skills and and be able to do that. I think in a lot of ways, like that de-risk thing in the long run, right? Like you're in a position that whatever happens, you're more equipped to deal with it. Yeah, hundred percent. 
it's becoming anti-fragile. It's building all those skills and hard skills, soft skills that even if your particular company doesn't work out in a particular acute situation, you still have all those channels and opportunities to go pitch yourself for the next opportunity. You have uh, rich social connections, all these things. It's, it's, it's becoming more resilient because you're more, you have, you have eggs in, in other baskets, you're more diverse. And, and so if, if you're just going in and, and just trying to, to check the boxes, like in the 20th century, and you just and, uh, hope that you don't get fired, that's actually a really insecure approach because then you're left with, with nothing else, nothing else to go, to go with. And so I think if people can start embodying this entrepreneurial mindset and really understanding the value of creating a, creating a, a value proposition of creating that rich, robust network of learning to see yourself as me incorporated and see your a job plan as, a, as, as an entrepreneurial sales campaign, all these mindset shifts beyond going from cog in a wheel to more that artistic approach to life. Then it's like, you can't, no one can stop you because you, you're, you're a value creator, right? You're an artist. You're that 21st century person who goes above and beyond. So what tips would you have for someone to kind of move into that mindset more of, you know, I've mentioned artists, of course, I'm um, referencing Seth Godin in, in his book, in particular, Lynchpin, um, subtitle, How to Become Indispensable, and moving from that, that cog and wheel mentality to, to more of that creative mentality. What, what are some of those mindset tips from your perspective on how to, to, to shift into this new mindset? Um, yeah, I, I, I love Lynchpin as well. I think that's a great recommendation. I think anyone would benefit from from reading that. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of it, like many other things in life, is like you just kind of kind of start moving in that direction. I think like you know, Lynchpin is a good book because it's like okay, you're at your current job now, and it's like start doing things that make yourself more useful and indispensable, right? And like quit your job and go try some crazy new thing. It's like look, be be more useful. Right. Like, you know, you're at your job and the company starts a podcast, like learn how podcasts work and, you know, whatever, like whatever the sort of new thing is. Um, so I think that, I think, you know, just sort of that, that you call entrepreneurial mindset or ownership mindset. Um, and then just like start finding to do it in, in small ways. Right. And I think it's, it's sort of like a self-reinforcing thing. It builds confidence. You know, it's like, you know, you start a diet and exercise plan and you lose two pounds. And what do you do? You feel better about yourself. And you're like, oh, this is working. I'm going to keep going. And so, you know, you keep doing it and you lose two more pounds. You're like, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm feeling healthier, blah, blah, blah. And right. Just you do that for a year and can make a huge difference. Um, so I, I think it's the same thing, right? It's not, it's, it's hard to just like sit there in a vacuum and like think about things differently. Um, because, you know, like, you know, when I started like anyone else, like I didn't have any skills. I had no reason to be confident about what I could accomplish because I wasn't really good at anything. You know what I mean? I, I didn't have any uh, any particularly useful skills um, coming straight out of school. Um, but, I, you know, I started developing them. Uh, I worked at a few different companies, tried to take on more responsibility, take on more ownership, um, sort of think more entrepreneurially about what the owners were trying to uh, accomplish and, and go through that. So I think it's that sort of just start building things up, um, start, start behaving somewhat more entrepreneurially in whatever role you're in now or whatever you're doing now and, and sort of build that confidence over time. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard Isaac Morehouse talk about creating a value proposition to send to a company, you know, a specific proposal that just sort of floored me. It was like six years ago and it was a totally foreign concept. And that could be happening for people this week at this event. 
where they're hearing someone talk about send a video pitch to a company or send a custom project and do something without permission to stand out. And that seems daunting or it seems jarring to even consider that, but it's going to be like that at the beginning. But if you start doing it, you start building that momentum in your entrepreneurial mindset, then it starts to become, starts to become more automatic. Um, and so you did that. You, you, I understand way back in your early career, we're, we're teaching English and then you were looking to move into more entrepreneurial experiences. And you talked about, you took a, a course on, on moz.com on, on how to learn SEO. And you, uh, I believe you, you created a landing page for a company. You sent that to the company. And I'm just curious about that because we were teaching that about creating those custom projects and learning skills on your own. Walk us through what you did to get started in that way. Yeah, I I had a a history degree and I didn't have any, I sort of graduated kind of the bottom of the job market after the global financial crisis. And uh, yeah, so I just, I I moved to Brazil and I was teaching English and I knew that wasn't what I'd do for the rest of my life, but I was kind of trying to figure it out. And I applied for a company that I really wanted to work for that was a sort of e-commerce company. I listened to some of their podcasts and stuff. And uh, I got to, I got an interview and um, the guy that interviewed me, you know, basically, and he said, Hey, you seem, you know, reasonably intelligent, but like, you just don't have any like useful skills, right? Like you're a English teacher in Brazil, uh, which is great. But like, you know, what, why, like, how do we know that you're going to be good? And I was like, huh, that's a really good point. You know, I, that's, that's fair. Um, and so then, yeah, I did, I did what you said at the, at the time. Um, they were doing like search engine optimization stuff. And I think at the time, I think I ordered every search engine optimization book on Amazon at the time. I think there were like two or three. And then I went to like Moz.com and I just, I read all the SEO books and I read the sort of Moz.com had their um, SEO guide. And I bought uh, a few websites and uh, I started like doing SEO. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I started doing SEO stuff on them. Um, most successful one was a, uh, it was a review of furniture to put in your college dorm room. You know, I'd like to show it from college. And like, that was something I knew something about. So it was like reviews of like futons, you know, is this a good futon or not? I'd read all the online reviews and kind of like try to summarize it or whatever. And um, that was like my portfolio project. So um, like six months later, I applied for a job at a marketing agency and uh, I cold emailed like six marketing agencies in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I was. I'd moved back home. That's where I grew up. And uh, I said, hey, I taught myself SEO and I built these websites. And uh, like, will you give me some part-time work to see if I'm too good and I can like help you out? And uh, so I think I emailed five or six people. One person replied and met me for coffee. And I took my computer down to the coffee shop and like opened up my college furniture website and just like walked them through all my ideas. Like, you know, this is the on-page optimization I did. And this is how this is that. And uh, I think he gave me like 10 hours a week of SEO to start. And that, that was like full-time within three or four months. And uh, it just kind of like went from there. And that, that was sort of how I got started. It's so exciting because you just see the, the seed that was planted and now you're, you're a flourishing entrepreneur. It started with a choice to go learn a new skill. And it's literally, it just, it's at everyone's fingertips right now. You could be starting with nothing, no skills like you were. And there's just unlimited information for free on, on the World Wide Web. And it's just a matter of carving out the time, the intention, the attention, and to say, I'm going to go, you know, watch this course on Skillshare every day for two weeks and start applying those skills and start building that 
presence, that portfolio, and to be able to show something tangible. And then you can get that first opportunity. And maybe it's maybe it's you know, it's just that 10 hours a week opportunity, but it, it can all snowball and you kind of talk about like stair stepping, like there's all these ways to get started, even if you have zero skills. And I just want to like really spotlight that for people where you can you can be at, at any point in your life, any age, any stage, you could be, you could be that 50-year-old person who's been working working a corporate job for, for 25 years and you can you can make this shift. So any other thoughts you had on that? Um no, yeah. And I think it's you know, y'all talk about like sort of showing your work publicly and all that. And that was I actually ended up the e-commerce company I initially applied for, I had a job interview with them like 18 months later. This is after I was working at the marketing agency. And uh, I basically said like, hey, you said I had no skills. And like I taught myself SEO and I got this job at a marketing agency and I this is all the stuff we do in-house and I could like come do this kind of at your company. And they were like, okay. Right? And it was a really easy seller. I think I got hired the next day um, because I, it was, you know, they saw the progress, right? 18 months ago, I was like, okay, you said I didn't know how to do anything. And uh, so I learned how to do some stuff. And I'll like learn how to do more stuff uh, if you let me come work with you. And so I think that, that that's always been a really important part of it for me. Yeah, I, I got a big smile on my face just because I, I just know how the power of curiosity and creativity. It's just literally, I just can't say it enough how like how how much potential people have no matter what. So so similarly, I'm curious about you know your experience working at companies and being that being that linchpin, and what what approaches can you or advice can you give people who might they may already have a, an established career to some degree. Or several years experience, and they're at an even decent company. But how can you become that entrepreneur? How can you become that person? You kind of mentioned like that learning mindset of your company starting a podcast and go go learn about podcasting. But like, what is that? What are some other like approaches to being someone who's who's giving that one hundred and ten percent? And then, why is that something that's ultimately more meaningful. You know, the subtitle of your book is is money, meaning and freedom without the nine to five. And whether whether you have nine to five or not, there's an opportunity for meaning and and fulfillment wherever you are. Whatever um, you know, if you're at a job, you can go above and beyond and become that entrepreneur, then there's a lot of potential for for um for that fulfillment that's not just you have to go above and beyond, but you get to go above and beyond. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I, I think there is some, um, this is my like armchair psychology, right? But I think, and I think there's some sort of research to this extent, right? But like, you want to feel like you're doing something, like you're contributing in some way, right? Like that's, you know, um, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl, right? There have been lots of books written on this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, for most people, the thing you're probably going to do most in your life is work, right? You know, you're going to work, you know, 40 hours or more a week for, 50 or, you know, 40, 50 years, whatever it is. Um, and so I think it's, you know, for me, I think for many people, like it's just, it's more, you know, spiritually fulfilling that that work is like useful and meaningful, right? That it's not just like checking some boxes or um, doing something kind of uh, irrelevant. So I think I found like for me sort of working in companies, the work was just like a lot more, you know, even outside of the finance or anything else, it was just a lot more satisfying when I was being more sort of entrepreneurial and I'm going to make things better and I think I can fix this. And um, uh, that was always kind of my attitude. You know, I, I um, 
I don't know if I got fired. I was kind of asked to leave from the English school because I tried to rewrite the whole curriculum because I thought the curriculum wasn't, uh, you know, as good as it could have been, um, kind of thing, which with that particular owner was not, uh, well received. But, um, you know, the other companies I worked with, that sort of attitude was very well received. You know, I, I tried to always kind of take this attitude of, uh, you know, pretending I owned part of the company, right? That like I said, okay, you know, if I owned 10% of this company or whatever, like what would I do in this situation? And, what do I think the best investment is? So I think that's that's a big thing. I guess I noticed. Right, a lot of people are just like, um, you know, if if you come to someone and you just present problems, that tends to be like a very employee or call it like a you know you're identifying the problem and that's great. Um, but like the next level is like, here's a problem. Here's three solutions to the problem. Here's the trade offs of each, and here's the one I think we should do and why. And like that's a whole another level, right? Like as soon as you start doing that sort of thing of like, here, we were doing things this way. I think it's inefficient for ABC reason. Here's a proposal on how we could redo the, the process and what I think this would achieve for us. Um, like people start to take notice of that pretty fast. Right? I mean, for the, some places you get fired for that, uh, but you probably don't want to be at those places for a long time anyway. Because um, yeah, that, that's kind of the attitude that, that always helped me, I think. Yeah. And even to go one step further is to say, uh, you know, there's a proposal and then there's I went ahead and made this solution on my own time. Here's what do you think of this? Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a, the office hours podcast with Isaac Morehouse and TK Coleman, those value packed episodes that they did for several years, they had an episode called we should versus I did. So how can you be that person who's just, Hey, I made this. And that could be, that could be at the company you're currently at, or that's if you're pitching a company or trying to get your foot in the door. Hey, I made this for you. Even if it's off the mark, even if people are like, actually, that doesn't work for this reason, it's okay. But you still created value because you showcased your willingness to go above and beyond and and take ownership. Because oftentimes there's so many moving parts in a in a given business that it's hard to get something, a new project or a new approach to to gain traction um, unless you take ownership. You want something to be different. Yeah. Right. I remember when I was working at my before I made my career pivot and I was working as a high school band director and uh, it's definitely a little harder to be entrepreneurial in, uh, in the public sector, but, uh, <laughs> I was determined to t- take that mindset. And I was like, this website we have is, uh, is, is absolutely uh, no, no good. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to go draft this new website that was like specifically for the arts department. Um, and it didn't end up getting any traction because there's so much red tape that, but like the point is that I, I wasn't just sitting on the sidelines and critiquing about how this is a problematic. It was like, what can I do in my own zone of control to make this a better situation? So by the way, anyone in the chat, we have a few minutes left, anyone in the audience, but welcome to the chat and a question. Um, but I want to kind of ask you about this, Taylor, is now at this point in your career, let's say there's somebody who is you know, 20 years old or, or whoever age they want to break in and, and start working or an entrepreneur like you, or for, for a company that you're running, or what would be some some characteristics of a, like a value proposition that if someone were to, I mean, we talked about like the custom projects or the landing page and or the SEO project, but like, what are some other traits that you that would really make you say wow, and really make it a compelling reason for you to 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 have at least have a conversation with somebody if they wanted to pitch you? Let's say that you're not even you're not even actively looking for somebody, right? We're talking about this method of, of offering to work for people and 
even if there's not an official job posting, which is which is what Charlie Hone did, which is what I've what I did with Isaac Morehouse, which is a method that is like this secret weapon of you can stand out because there's no other job candidates because you create your own role through specific value propositions. So yeah, like what would be some elements of that value proposition that would that would that would um get you excited to potentially hire this person? Yeah, I think is it, um, my wife is an HR manager. She has interviews 10 to 20 candidates a week. She says a lot of this. And I was like, in general, the bar is like very low. Like you talk about like recording the custom video to stand out. Like you could spend an hour or two doing like a nice, thoughtful cover letter, a little set up a Squarespace website and like be at the top of the hiring stack, right? Like it's it's not like you're the, the bar is real. From what I've seen for most companies, the bar is relatively low. Um, I think when it comes to like pitching a specific company, I do think like, um, you know, certain people like certain people get pitched so much that the bar becomes much higher, right? Like, I don't know if you're going to go pitch Tim Ferriss now on some custom project or whatever, like he probably gets a hundred of those a week. Uh, and so like the bar to stand out is like incredibly high. Um, but there's like lots of good, interesting businesses doing cool stuff that like maybe never get those pitches or like get those on a much infrequent basis. I think being deliberate about who you want to reach out to and like, don't like, don't pick the most Instagram famous person, right? Like you're, you're probably, you can sort of like pick your yeah, like the person first person I reached out to is like a small marketing agency in like a third tier US city, right? They weren't getting like tons of crazy pitches um for work stuff. I think you know, and I think then as you sort of pitch more, I mean to the extent you can do it with anyone, but especially as you pitch like sort of more pressure people, like it just has to be a lot more customized, right? Like I think just these real like um I'm trying like, oh, I can help with like marketing stuff. It's like the from the the business owner or the manager's point of view, like the hardest part is like figuring out what to work on and like how to scope all of that. So like the I think if you want to sort of make the free work offer for a lot of people, like you need to really have understood the business super well, right? So if they have a blog or they have a podcast or you have a friend that works there, you know, whatever it is, you need to get like a really good understanding of like what that business is. Um, and what it needs. I think a lot of the like sort of the, the free work where that can just fall flat is like you just email someone like, hey, I'm up for whatever. What do you need? And I'm like, well, it's going to take me 20 hours to like think through all the problems and what I need. And like, I don't have 20 hours right now. Um, but like, you know, I actually said the, my, the most recent one I said yes to was uh, someone emailed me. They're trying to start doing copywriting stuff. They're like, I want to start doing copywriting. I, these are, I looked at Ahrefs. These are your five most popular blog posts. These are the typos on them. It's probably hurting your SEO and your readability. I'll fix them for you. Yeah, cool. I set up a little WordPress login for him, sent it over. You know, he did this stuff. I, I paid him for it, and he asked me for a testimonial. It was great. I didn't. Have, I took you know it took me fifteen minutes to say yes to that and like get him set up and do it. It was a very clear value proposition. Um, it worked right away. I think so. I think you know when you can be specific like that. Like here, I have this exact problem. I know exactly how to fix it. Fix it. Um, can I do it? It's like then it's like okay, sure. Like all I have to do is say yes. So I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Make it really easy for that person to say yes and not do any work. If you, if you're offering to work for free, but you don't make a specific value proposition, actually you're actually asking them to do more for you than you're doing for them because you just made them think about what they, uh, you, you just become a nuisance at that point. So how do you present on a silver platter specifically what you can do 
especially when it's a situation when they're not actively hiring. Because if there's a if there's a role, a sales job, and they're actively hiring, then you know, just sending a video, you're gonna you're gonna stand out. And it doesn't necessarily need to be as robust of a value proposition. Um, but if you're looking to pitch somebody, there's no active role, then you really want to do that research. You know, you really want to do that preparation to figure out what the problems are, maybe having meetings with employees at that company and just start creating social capital and start learning about what what problems there might be and get behind the scenes. And then you can over time tailor that that value proposition um, and, and make it happen. So well, we're about at the quarter of the hour, so there's no questions from anyone. I just want to thank Taylor. Thanks so much for your time. And again, the book is The End of Jobs. Again, go to the books page on Career Hackers. You'll see it there. The End of Jobs with Taylor Pearson. Definitely instrumental book. Instrumental book in my career change, my career pivot, moving from a completely different world into the startup world. So definitely highly recommend it. And just want to send everybody as well to taylorpearson.me. And thank you so much, Taylor. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And thank you everyone for listening. All right, everybody. We're going to see you on the live podcast recording in a few. Thanks, y'all. Thanks.